Hello, ski racing fans, and welcome to the American Downhiller Podcast, Season 3, Episode Number 4. Today's podcast is all about the world's longest downhill, the Lauberhorn in Wengen, Switzerland. We will also be talking a lot about gliding and tips and tactics to help ski racers glide and go faster. I'm two-time Olympian Doug Lewis, and Wengen played a huge role in my career because in 1984, I watched my teammate Bill Johnson win it and become the first American downhiller to win a World Cup downhill. And in that race, I actually qualified for the 1984 Olympics. It was an amazing day that shocked the world. Joining me is AJ Kitt, four-time Olympian who raced Wengen from 1992 to 1998. Also, Marco Sullivan, who had four top tens in Wengen, including a third place and finish in 2009. Cool fact, he joined Bodie Miller on the podium, who finished second. Not that many times the American downhillers have had two on the podium. And of course, Darren Rawls, who won the Lauberhorn in 2006 and also had a second place earlier in 2003. Darren can tell us all about winning on this course. I got to start with this course. It is so unique, but I want to get your first impression. So either the first time you inspected, the first time you arrived in Wengen, what was that first impression of Wengen, boys? My my impression was how long it was. I mean, it was seriously like I had a difficult time remembering the course. And I remember you go out of the start, you go around the first sort of big turn, the second big turn, then you go into this long, like straightaway, but it goes over some rollers and the course is kind of, it kind of like meanders a little bit, but it's all, there's like three blind rolls. I was totally lost my first time down it. <laughs> and then I got to the Honig shoes and I'm like, or the, sorry, the Hoonchop. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a whole, Another minute of skiing to go. I had no I think idea. I remember that story because I went into that that race watching a lot of video, you know, just trying to get familiar with like the top to bottom. And this is before like any good POV. So it's just sections and all that. And uh, I did a lot of like mental imagery and tried to get it dialed. And I went through the tunnel and then I was lost. Like I was like, what's next? I actually remember standing up because <laughs> you come down with that compression through the tunnel. And just like, where am I going? Where's the next couple of turns? And I stood up the whole section, like into the next like super two turns. And then like, um, and then got back into the, the bottom, but that was, it was a challenge. It's a yeah, long Yeah, it's not unusual to see guys different. 10 or 11 seconds out in their first training run. They have no idea where they're going. I think my first impression was more about the place than the course. Like just yeah. taking the train up from Lauterbrunnen, lo loading all of our gear on the train, you know, parking the vans for the week going up seeing the eiger it was just this majestic place and uh it was so cool just taking all that in i don't even re really remember my first race there but it was more about just like such a unique place of vengen for me it was as soon as i slid up to the hoonchop i'm like do we go around this like i couldn't figure out we actually went over this cliff and the rocks are on the left and there's this huge net on the right and you were basically going off the cliff and it was unlike anything I could even imagine that we had to do. And, you know, you land and then you're, there's a compression and then the Mitch Conte and the Canadian corner. And I just said, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And that's not only the craziest part of that course. Uh, but it is the oldest running course. I learned this from Darren Rolves. Darren, talk about the 90th and how old this race is. Yeah, so it's the 94th. 2024 is the 94th running, the Lava Horn running. And nine, uh, in the 90th, in 2020, 
they invited all the past winners to come back and uh it was it was really special one to like share that like aj was there with the adl ski crew um kyle rasmussen was the first time back since he finished racing so that was really special for him kind of had to talk him into it that guy ras did not even bring skis he showed up with no skis so he didn't even go skiing on the hill he just took the train up and hung out in the, the vip um that year was it was kind of extra special because i was waiting to take my kids my lane dre to europe and show them vang and kitzbühel and kind of figure that point they were 12 years old and they can make it down top to bottom aj you brought uh axel the year before to kitzbühel and that was kind of like a you know inspiring thing for me so i wanted to share that with my kids and it was like something really special Here, here's and, um I'll send this out. Yeah, so really yeah. Add it to the. Yeah, to you the, got a photo of. I, I was a little late. I don't know what I was doing, but I wasn't in that photo. Yeah. But that's everybody in their gear that they raced in when they won, and so we all showed up and, you know, brought the skis, brought the suits and the bibs, if we had them still, and and got up on stage after that little photo right there. There's some legends in that picture. On Girardelli, I think that is probably what the one impression I had the most from watching that race. And I think it was attributed, helped me out in my my speed there on that track. And what he did in this one race, which he won, he came off the right footer into the finish and went like 20 feet to the left of the line where everybody else was going. And that always stuck with me. I kind of looked at that and, and um, I figured like that's a shorter distance. And it was actually like the, the, the light at the finish line was like up the hill a little bit on the left side. And so I was figuring if I could go left, maybe I cut off a little more distance and hit the, the light a little sooner. And I dove way left on my, you know, the, the year I won in 06. I was always out to lunch at Vang. And I think part of it's because my first impression, I was just overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by the scale of the, of the race hill and how long it is, how like there's so many different sections that, and that was a part of it. I just could never put it together. I could never take all those, sections and link them together into one sort of you know flowing run you know where i like i felt at every other track i really felt like i could link it together and make the whole run flow but i never could with that one but then just the scale of being under the eiger and the train up and the jets that fly over and all the people i don't know why it was just it just got in my head i never could i never did well there i think i got a couple top 15s which i know is a great result but um i always was wanting podium and faster runs i just couldn't figure it out i was right there with you aj i just I, I had a great result that qualified me for the olympics but i was never in the top 15 i don't think and i and maybe darren you can talk to this but i was an aggressive skier attacking stiff gritting grunting and it just didn't work on that course a couple times a couple sections it would and i would be fast but there's times where I don't know. I just couldn't relax. I just couldn't find the flow of that course. Um, and it just didn't match my style. Uh, I wanted to it. I love that course, but I just never could, could be fast on it. Yeah. I think that, I mean, there's a lot of elements on that course and like, you know, Marco can attest to that too, like with the gliding. And I felt like even in the wind tunnel, you kind of, you tense up, even the same position, you're going, you're, you're creating more drag as opposed to being really loose. That's what I found. So I was like trying to be real, really relax there and I just had a thought in my mind like others are saying oh this is not a track for you it's just there's too much gliding and I got there kind of with that perception in my head like what can I do to 
to be competitive here. And actually at the start, I felt like that first left footer, if I executed that really well, went in direct deep and, and skied it cleaner and better aerodynamics, that was going to give me a lot of speed for the upper section, which is like 50 seconds before you get to Hoon Shop. And I think that helped me because I was pretty damn competitive, like within five tenths going to Hoon Shop that year I won. And that's kind of what I needed. I needed to be in the hunt there. Yeah, I think what you just said with that, that first left turn, it's a triple, it's a yeah. super long turn. And that was always the one where... I would try and nail that. And I traditionally was really good on that top split. Going back to your win, and that was like one of the most inspiring races ever for me, for racing in general, because like you said, it was not a track that people thought you were, should be good at. And Bengen was kind of one of those where, you know, like AJ and Lou are saying, if you didn't have it at Bengen, you didn't, you just didn't have it. And I think you kind of took that as a challenge and broke through course into pieces and and really nailed it like section by section which i think you have to do there because it's so long it's like the top 50 seconds is glidey but if you nail that first left footer you're good up there and then it just totally changes going over the hoonchoff and canadian corner and minch conte i mean it's like a battle and then you're back into glide mode there's just so many elements to the course that i always felt like if you didn't nail one I mean, a couple of, one year I actually went on my hip in that first left footer and I knew I was out and it was like the worst feeling ever because I knew it was done. Uh, you blow that first left footer and you got two minutes and 15 mm -hmm. seconds to like shake your head and just damn it, you know? But I think going back to the start, what you were talking about, is it's so iconic and I would actually just look at the Iger right out of the start gate and just like, I mean, kind of in a funny way, just like I'm going to harness some energy from that mountain and put all in this run, just the scene. And I get up there early. That was like the only track I'd ever go to early in the start, just to watch that air show. And I mean, back in the day, it was cool because they had a lot of helicopters dropping off uh, spectators and there'd be helicopters lined up along the left Her side. Herman Meyer got a heli ride. Yep. <laughs> I got a heli ride one time for getting flagged. Somebody crashed the bottom. I had to go back up there after half a run. Like, I remember the whole it. Swiss team like showing up in a helicopter for inspection after we'd done like the slog of like an hour and a half on trains and then train. uh, Swiss team just like got out of bed, hopped on the heli, and we're at the start in like three minutes. Thought that was a pretty pro move. Yep, home turf advantage there. There's so many places on that course to, that where you can lose it, right? I mean. One of the simplest ways for downhillers to like break down a course is like, where can I win this race and where can I lose it? Right. And you want to focus on those two things. Like don't screw it up and lose it here. And then really focus on doing the really the best you can at where you can win it. But I mean, at Vengen, there's so, so many places you can lose it right out of the gate in the left footer. Right. Uh, obviously the, the turn before Hoon Chop, and then there's Canadian corner. You can get pulled low. There's uh, Kernan S which is where I lost it every year. Uh, and, you know, and then there's the, you get at the bottom and you get tired and uh, you make a couple mistakes here and there after, after hunting shoes and into the finish. I mean, I just, I just couldn't handle all those different places that I had to not lose the race. And I just did it on every one of them. <laughs> quite a, quite something you put on your badge. I've lost it in every place. on Vengen. <laughs> yeah. It's such a classic. It was just like on my list, like I need to win on this track. Like that was kind of it. Like it was like Kitzbühel. In a way, it's just like this is like one of the most badass tracks and so, super unique in the history. And I wanted to, you know, kind of be part of that. I put a lot of effort, like effort, I'd say, in a more mental aspects of that that hill, trying to like watch a lot of video and then break it down. And like we we're just talking about all the different sections. 
But as soon as I got the hoonshaw, like from here down to the finish, as mine. Like if I do what I can, I got. It. I just got to be within a certain like, you know, half a second. Whoever's you know the top guy to have a chance here. I think that's probably my best win I've ever had because of the challenges that I had to like you know overcome. That actually pinpoints like how different we were, Darren, because. When I got third, I won the top split by eight tenths. And my <laughs> service man was like so pissed I didn't win the race because I so lose eight tenths from there to the finish. And most, you know, a lot of it was in the Kernan S and then, you know, a couple of little things on the way down. But yeah, it was different strengths, that's for sure. If we could have put our two runs together, you know, or seconds yeah. together, that'd be pretty <laughs> badass. Totally. Spank the field. Michaela Schifrin style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the current S for me was was like almost a nemesis. I, you know, that was like an impossible two two turns to make. And I on that second one on the right footer, I was always way up on the bank and like there's you know little tree branches sticking up out of the snow that I'm trying to avoid and you know trying to figure out where I'm going to catch some speed again before I go through that tunnel. Who got it? Who got a train? Anybody? Just I, Ross, I think. Yeah, that's the luck, right? If you see the train going across when you're going under the tunnel, you know you got you got good luck. And when I you're going to that going into the, into the tunnel, like and you don't see the train, it's like, damn it, where is that thing? Yeah, I think Rass said he got it once. I think he got it the year he won. Is that right? Yeah. Doug Lewis here. If you are a U12, U14, or U16, Elite Team Fitness Camps are for you. This is not your average fitness camp as we teach the vital skills of sports psychology and sports nutrition, along with tough, challenging workouts. You will leave camp with more power, strength, and agility, with a deeper understanding about nutrition, and with the mental skills of confidence, focus, and pushing limits, which will take you to the next level. Over our 30 years, we have coached Olympic champions, World Cup stars, NCAA champions, including US ski teamers, Michaela Schifrin, Lauren Masuga, Alice Merriweather, Jimmy Krupka, Grace Henderson, and Sammy Worthington. And finally, although we push our limits to the edge, we have a ton of fun. We are holding two week-long sessions this July at the Killington Mountain School. Find all the info at EliteTeam.com. Let's talk about that, AJ. You've been in the uh, Canadian Corner fan. Talk about the excitement, the noise when they come off the hoon shop off of Mitch Conte around Canadian corner in front of how many fans are there? And what is that like? There's gotta be 50,000 people over there. I don't know. Maybe it's not that much, but it sure feels like it. But I mean, yeah, it's, they've got barbecues going, you know, they've got mobile, mobile, you know, beer taps going. They've got, you know, they're, they're cooking, they're eating. It's like a big tailgate party on the side of this Hill fireworks, smoke bombs, music, um everything you can imagine it's pretty chaotic but it's really fun to be in the middle of that you know it really gives you a good vibe of of what you know ski racing is about with ski racing the love of it over in europe what it's all about you know they're they're, they're rabid fans and they love it and, and the nice thing about it is and this is probably true in most of the european countries is you know they just like fast ski racing of course they want to see their own countrymen win but they're they totally appreciate it when anybody goes by fast and you know see a split or you know coming across the finish line in first place they they can definitely appreciate whoever it is it's a cool experience and i mean for anybody that's listening if you really want to go check it out and experience it you know contact the adl ski club because their trip is really fun it's really well put together and and kyle and those guys know every inch of the right places to be and hang out and go 
you know, do some ex uh, unique experiences. We skied down, we skied down to Grindelwald one day on that trip. And that was really pretty cool. I mean, it was almost the coolest thing we did. And you, you know, it's this long meandering run and you halfway down, you stop at a, you know, chalet and have lunch, rucklet, a couple drinks, and then kind of get all the way down. And we ended up getting down there and we missed the gondola. We got down so late in the day, they closed the lift. So we had to take the train back up, which was also really cool. Cause you're right. You're like the train's going on right at the bottom of that's the Jungfrau. Yeah. Or is that the Eiger on that side? I forget which side it is, but anyway, great experience. Um, so if anybody wants to go check it out, the ADL ski club trips are where it's at. If you've ever dreamed of going to Wengen or Kitzbühel to watch the classic World Cup downhills, the ADL Ski Club is for you. Their small group trips are geared for passionate skiers and big race fans. They take you to the heart of ski racing's biggest races at the Laberhorn, Honenkamm, and Schladming Night Slalom. This year's trip to Wengen still has space available. If you and some friends want to experience one of the greatest classic downhills and do some big Swiss free skiing, just mention American Downhillers and save $800 now. Our own AJ Kid has been on both the Wengen and Kitzbühel trips. The ADL has a ton of special access passes to the races, parties, and athletes which make the Ski World Cup unique among all professional sports. Now is the perfect time to get your name on the list for this year's Bengen Lauberhorn trip or next year's Kips trip. Visit ADL Ski Club, that's ADLSkiClub.com and reach out to them to secure your spot. I got one more thing, Louie, yeah. about Canadian Corner, yeah. that viewing area. The, um, the only time my dad got to come to Europe and watch me race was Bengen and he got to watch the race from Canadian Corner in that whole sea of people. And that was the year I, that I was on the podium. And uh, once when the crowd around him found out that like, or when I was holding, they found out he was my dad, then they were like cheering for me to like stay on the podium. And when it all finished up, you know, they were just serving him up schnapps and fondue. And it was like one of the best times of his life, you know, and the, oh, what AJ was saying about the, the crowd embracing everyone. It was like, that was very true in that moment. And, just an epic race environment. For the fans listening, we're going to take you down the course by section. Marco, since you won it by eight tenths, uh, take us out of the start around that right footer. And then from the right footer all the way to, to the turn be before Hunshoff, talk about what, what you're feeling, what's happening. Yeah, to start, I mean, right from the start, it's like an old school start house. Big, It's like a wood house. You know, It's a building that you like ski into just got a little little pathway of snow and so you enter the house and you know the vibes start ramping up like it's on and then you step into the start gate and you're staring right at the eiger and just this amazing view you hope hopefully it's a sunny day um you kick out and you get in your tuck for about 10 12 seconds and then there's a big triple left footer that we've been talking about and it's hard not you got to be really patient it's hard not to dive in too early because you're amped up but it's the you know the turn itself is i don't know how many meters probably like 300 meters long you know it's just this huge left footer that spits you out onto kind of a straightaway and uh you're going pretty pretty good clip at that point and there's a jump up top uh, i think it's called the rusi rusi sprung and on a good year you'll fly 
30, 40 meters off that jump. Like it's a pretty good little pot and it's fast and you land off that. And it's another big right foot, like traverse entering above the hoonshaw. So it's a long side hill traverse and the turn above the hoonshaw, we just call it the carousel. I'm not sure if that's the the right name for it, but that's another triple or some years they said it as a double, but it's really hard to time it because you come in, you're probably going 75, 80 miles an hour. I would think I, I might be exaggerating that, but you're going, you're moving and you do this carousel is a 180 degree turn because they want to slow everyone down above the hoonshaw. And so that's like really hard to nail the timing on that. And then a right footer over the hoonshaw. And the year I got third there, I was saying I was so good on top. And then I boned the carousel so hard that I didn't clear the jump on the hoonshaw because they had built like a little cheese wedge behind the actual takeoff and I like plopped off the cheese wedge, double tapped on the on the actual lip. And I was just like, oh yeah, I better I gotta get going. Like that was not a good sign, but luckily picked it up. I'll add a little bit more to the you get off that that straightaway and it is that 180 degrees. And I I skied on 223, 225s. AJ, I think you were on 225s as well. And it was like the hardest thing to bend those skis. And you, you're right. You go from 75 to like 35 in one turn. And that's on purpose because you're going over that cliff. But sometimes I was stepping like a cross-country skier. Uh, it was just the worst feeling for me, uh, cutting speed, uh, which you need to do. And you just didn't want to cut as much as everybody else. And then you line up with the Hoonchop. And Hoonchop is this cliff. You have the pole, the safety pole with the netting on the right, and then you have the, the rock cliff on your left. And if you can go right with the right direction, it's a huge, it's big, big, big air, but it's straighter. And I've seen people go right by the pole and the pole has these little feathers on it and you would hit that, but your drop is like an elevator shaft or you play a little safe, turn more, you land better, but you've killed your speed. But the the terrain and the puzzle of that just section blew me away. And I always tried to run it straight off that pole and fly. Uh, but then you would land and, you know, your back would crack five times and then you'd go on. And I'll hand it over to to Darren to take us through the Mitch Conte in, in Canadian corner. Yeah, Lou, you're right. Uh, I had a training run where I, my pole hit that like fence on the right and it was a big drop and landed pretty much in the compression. And didn't want to do that again, you know, because you're like, you're just dragging your butt cheeks on the on the snow at the bottom of the landing. But there was a fine line how much you wanted to like pull back left. You didn't want to overski it. But um, it was like coming out of that left footer, that carousel, almost like a big step, you know, to the right ski and get set up and then go. And then um, the night before, 06, when I won, I was in bed and Pete Bozinger knocked on my door or coach Pedro and he found this like I mean he he was like looking at all this like footage from a couple of different guys and did some side by side stuff and found this one certain kind of like move this one guy did I forget who it was but it was coming off that out of the compression the right footer onto that Mitch Conte roll and it showed that like when he hooked it way up to the left and like hit that bank of the left footer and just slung shot like back plus he was way tight on the exit on the right side, he made a lot of time. And um, I didn't execute that or even think about that in the last training run. 
or any runs that I've ever had down that track, but we looked at it and were convinced it was the, the fastest way to go. So that was a big goal of mine that day was to hook up underneath, basically tag that panel, jump up to the left, land. And as soon as I hit, it was like, just, you just press against that wall. And I shot off that bank. I felt so much acceleration. I was inside the line, up high to the right, clipped the next gate. And I just, then I could just let it go down towards like that. If I, I just kind of, the way I look, like would describe that next section on the road is like a F1 track because you're up against this fence line. You're, you're basically buzzing this thing. Like you could stick your elbow out and, and rub up against the fence and you're trying to hold it. And the thing that kills me nowadays, and I even gave Dominic Paris a little crap about this when I saw him in Kitsville a couple years ago, is he came up and did a full snowplow, right? Some guys do like come in there and do like a check and then like try and set it up, which kind of makes a little sense to get a little flow. And he did a full snowplow. There's a picture on the internet with like five little kids snowplowing behind him. Somebody just superimposed. But um, to me, it was like I would just be – flat ski along that fence dripped out a little bit left foot just to take a quick like boom boom you know but i wouldn't want to like like kill any speed i mean that's kind of against our our mo is downhill it was like you know sliding skis but the next panel i wanted to hit that thing that was if i hit that then i was like on this really tight line and i was ahead of it and i couldn't do it in training and, and that was another one i was like i need to nail this thing on race day and I came in there, it was kind of like that brave heart where you just, the guy's just like, hold, 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 and then go. And it was one of those things in my head. And I paneled that gate, made that quick switch. I was like a right foot kind of down low on that bank. And I just felt like I had so much speed through Karen and S and just was looking for that train going over the track, on the tracks, over the, the tunnel wasn't there, but I'm like, doesn't matter. I'm flying right now. So keep going. I hit that wall at the end of Kernanes every year. You know, <laughs> at least with the foot up on it, the one that, that Bruno lawn darted yeah. himself into. But I knew it's coming like, down that that channel, there's just no way I wasn't gonna lose all my speed. So <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to minimize that that you know anchor drag right there. But and I did the same thing. I did this little pre-turn that Darren does, you know, just to try to get the rhythm. Never got it right. So AJ, you've killed all your speed in the Kernan S. Take us down through down through the Honigshoes, which is the fastest part on yeah. World Cup. Yeah, so I killed my speed. I hit the wall. Now I'm up in the trees trying to trying to find my way out of the out of the woods. I think in training one year I actually skated like this, just kind of in jest, just so for the coaches to have something to laugh about. But um I probably could have done that every time. But yeah, you get out of that a little it's like a little mouse trap in there that, that, you know, you're going through current F. but then you get, then you get into this, this tunnel thing. And, you know, for any ski fans who haven't seen the downhill racer from the 1960s, watch it. And a lot of that movie is about Vengen and um, you know, in, in one of the clips in that movie, uh, the character comes a little wide and hits the, hits the side of the tunnel. And um, that's pretty, um dramatic part of that movie but every time i'm coming into that thing i'm thinking about that part of the movie don't hit the you know don't go wide and hit the <laughs> hit the cement embankment of the tunnel but i mean it is pretty cool because you go down and you come back up on the outside of it as you're coming onto that tunnel you're kind of looking up and you see this like you know this blind rollover 
And you you just hope you're coming out of that aiming in the right direction because you really can't see anything except for just the horizon line there that you're going to roll over. And then it's time to time to glide and time to rest again. Yeah, I mean, I've heard talk about people that have get up, gotten up and put their elbows on their knees to rest a little bit, you know, or or whatever. And But there's a long stretch there straight away where you, you try to relax, you try to get some blood back in your legs for the last, I don't know, 30-some seconds. And then you come into the giant Super G turns, and, the, and they're super fun. Like, there's some fun parts on that course, but these Super G turns are really fun because you go from a pretty flat bit of terrain, and as it turns over, it just gets a little steeper and a little steeper until you get into – which is very steep so these three giant you know they're all double corridor turns like this all the way down you just start you accelerate you're faster and faster every turn until you come over on your right foot and break over on Hanukkah and and yeah it's just a it's just a straight yeah exactly it's like sticking your face out of the window on a jet airplane peeling your peeling your skin off your face uh, but it's fun it I mean it's pretty smooth and you know you're going 90 90 plus miles an hour uh and that's a pretty cool sensation that's yeah, right shush, your your face is just peeled back because of the speed you take that right footer which has played a key role in the last couple of years everybody's had some troubles with that right footer because it's so fast and a little bumpy and dark Soberhorn, and then you enter this austrian hole section because one year every austrian fell in the same section it's called the austrian hole it's between the Soberhorn and the last S turns and that's where Johnson it was it was dumping snow um he had the fastest skis in the world and he just was loose his his lower body was that controlled chaos control up here chaos in his knees and ankles and he just caught an edge went off the course went on the course didn't lose as much speed as we all thought and then went into the final uh S turns and was able to to nail it, but Darren, take us through the last three turns where you have to ride or last two turns, you ride that fence and then you have the last two in the finish. Yeah. So off of Silberhorn, that was always a sweet jump. I love that one. And um, it's, it's definitely one of the more scenic shots, like on the world cup, right. With that like peak in the background, but you come in there, there's like a few like kind of rolling rollers coming in and you got to really like, I mean, you're, you're fighting, you know, for aerodynamics and trying to hold a high tuck and take that compression. That next right footer along the fence line, I actually purposely came in to finish the turn and and did a little scrub, just broke the edge a little bit so I had a better kind of like shift over to the left to be really ahead of it because I felt like if you go in there and you're super clean, it's hard to kind of get like the skis kind of like, you know, come from behind enough on that left footer. Then you just drive in with as much power as you can possibly muster up and and it's just like gritting your teeth and just the one turn you had to hammer so hard and if you got that thing nice and off that left foot quick you get to your right foot and still take a lot of speed in the finish and take the Giardelli line far left at the finish <laughs> but like that was like a, a really cool section I mean a lot to do with fitness and just being in the right place like you can't be sitting back a lot of guys maybe get a little tentative and will get a little rotation going a little on the back of the tails and they're done. They either lose a ton of speed. You've seen a lot of guys just like fully wash out, go sideways there, or some guys stump out and crash, or some guys had the wrong angle and stuff it right in the fence on the right side before the finish. There's like three bad things that can happen. I always felt like my, my uh, stamina or strength or whatever was okay at Bengen. Like Formio, I'd be flatlined at the end. Bengen, I, 
could still power those last couple turns. To describe that finish line, you drop into this hole and you have the slalom hill to your right. You've got the downhill behind you. You've got the fans. It's this wonderful bowl of excitement and craziness and it's it's a beautiful beautiful finish and you have to you have to definitely put it sideways or or hit the net and and fence because your legs are so toast but i just loved coming into that finish and hearing the crowd and and seeing that view of this this finish area which is amazing and then if you're on the podium you get a helicopter ride home which is one of the coolest things ever <laughs> way better than standing in a lift line for three hours with all those drunk yeah. with people. Yeah. That train ride down when he'd be like stuffed in the train with like drunk Swiss dudes breathing in your face. And none of them believe that like you just race the thing. They're like, Oh, whatever. Like <laughs> they're all just trying to get down. Another kind of cultural thing for Vengen is the hockey rank. And I know you played hockey at different places. The team did, but we always played hockey at Vengen, which was stupid because it ruined our legs and we could barely make it down the course, but it was huge hockey. And I don't know if you ever did it, but there's a 30 meter uh, Nordic jump in the Vengen uh, town as well. And we used to take our downhill skis and uh, practice airtime on a 30 meter Nordic jump at night after we training. It was the that was before the race. Yeah, before, before the race. race. Day you'd be doing the jump. Nice. Not smart physically, but mentally we had that. It was, it was, it was our thing. We had a hockey camp in uh, in Boulder one year. This has nothing to do with AJ. And it was... <laughs> nothing. Yeah, but it was a it's hockey the up. hockey story. What happened? Like we were doing these like sprints across the, uh, the, the the rink, and something happened. Like he just couldn't hockey stop, and he got so mad he like snapped a stick over his knee and tossed the stick over the boards and just skated off and unlaced them and said like hell with that I'm done. No, but, I got I I got rid of my helmet, and then we were. John was taking us through suicides from side to side, and I caught an edge on my hockey stop and went head first into the boards and knocked myself out. But then you got up and you're all pissed, and you I oh, remember yeah. you snapping that stick over your knee, hucking yeah. it over the boards, and just skate off like I'm done. Well, yeah, I had a concussion. <laughs> I off the ice. Since we're talking about Vengen, we're going to talk about gliding, and we'll all come in on this. But I'm going to start with Marco. The question is Are you a born glider with feel? and talent to let your skis go and glide or are you not born a downhill glider or is it something in between talk about your gliding talent and where did it come from i think gliders are what is it what's nature versus nurture is it uh <laughs> you're born with it or you learn i think people can definitely learn to be good gliders and what i always i mean i feel like i did have a good touch from a lot of it was just growing up um, in the West, you know, a lot of soft snow, did a ton of free skiing. We weren't always banging gates. Um, so just developing a good feeling on the snow. But as I progressed as a racer, um, I feel like some people interpret gliding as, as having like the flattest ski possible. So you're actually going like flat ski and then do a quick turn and then flat ski again, which I never thought that was correct. Like, even on gliding sections, I think you're still really committed to your outside ski. You're always on edge to some extent. You're trying to keep that edge angle really low. Um, so the turn is longer and you don't have any point in your turn where you really tip those skis up to have a high edge angle. So I think what I was good at and what some um, good gliders are good at is just having a lower edge angle 
feet right underneath you, not getting them out to the side. But yeah, for me, it was, you're always working, working those feet outside ski to outside ski, and you're still pushing hard, even when you're on the flats. And uh, that was gliding and maybe a little different interpretation than some people think of it. Yeah. I mean, I think um, there's ways to learn to be better glider. There's, you know, there's technique to everything and I think you can learn it, but I, I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, people that are just natural gliders, you know, they're, they're naturally um, supple on their, on their skis. And, and I, I agree with like what Marco said, it's not all about finding the flat ski. Uh, it's about flowing with the terrain. It's about having loose ankles. It's about having, you know, loose legs and moving your knees and your hips and, and being able to really, you know, read the terrain, um, work with the terrain. When I got into just a straight tuck and was gliding in a straightaway, I not only was trying to get my upper body as low as I could, but I was also trying to bring my legs up. I was trying to close the gap between my knees and my shoulders like a clamshell, really using my hip flexors to squeeze. And I kind of, as much as it doesn't, you know, isn't really possible, but I was trying to unweight weight off my feet by pulling my legs up. When you're going, you know, at a speed, you know, forward, the more you can unweight yourself. I mean, just it's less friction on the ground, maybe. Yeah, I, I agree with Marco, the low edge angles, minimizing the amount of pressure you're putting on that outside ski. So you're, you know, now you're talking about sharing the weight on both skis. So there's some, there's a lot to be said for that, you know? And then of course, fast equipment is is also really key for being a good glider too. I think uh, I didn't really think about too much of like the, you know, just getting away with the least amount of edge angle. What I thought about was lengthening a turn and trying to link turns like Marco and Andrews, AJ were just talking about like being proactive with the edging, but just enough, like looking way ahead so I can like just put the right amount of pressure in just to kind of be right where I need to be on the line and switch right in the next one. Keeping that momentum up. You see a lot of kids like they're like, it feels good to like lay hard in the turn. You feel the power and everything, but you're, you're grinding, especially on softer snow. And I felt like uh, I had some of that like product of my environment skills develop, grew up in the West. Try, I would always think about trying to match my shoulders to my ski tips you almost kind of like rotate through the turn a little bit on the easy gliding turn. And that to me would help take pressure off the skis a little bit instead of like driving more like in a counter position and dropping the hip. I kind of try and purposely square up a little more. And I spent a lot of time on test tracks. I mean, I did as much as I could. Uh, I, after a Van, uh, Val Gardena training run, I go over the atomic team and, and jump on the test track. And, and um, it was like twice that week just to get a better feel and, and just work on on those skills and and being compact and relaxed. I mean, there's a lot of like things I was thinking about, but I guess it really comes down to being how like really supple and soft and smooth. I just remember um, my first U.S. ski team camp at Squaw Valley. We did endless turns, it was like using as little edge as possible to make that turn. And I came from the east where I wanted to just dig in and lay it over and and crank it. And it was opposite to me, use as little as possible. And that really taught me a lot um, because edges are breaks. And the other thing was letting the ski swim. Um, maybe it was old style 225s, but you could actually have those skis just swimming under you. And if you felt that, I always felt that, okay, they are flying. And the last thing I will say is you then have to match this 
looseness in the ankles and knees and swim below, but you're also at the same time trying to remain arrow. And that was two things fighting against each other because I had to find this position of aerodynamics yet be loose in the in my legs and ankles. So it was really tough for me, but I, I worked on it, worked on it, and you can learn to glide. But I do think it's a combo. I think you're you're born a glider, but you can also become a glider. So having that pumping action and stuff is another, I think, really key component to um to gliding well. You know, narrow stance skiers, I don't think can be good gliders. You need a wider stance and some more room to to have everything kind of work and flow in between. I think, yeah, looking ahead is such a great cue for ski racing in general, but in speed and gliding, like, hey, look ahead, see what's coming so you can anticipate it. And like AJ mentioned it earlier, I mean, that, and you mentioned it too, Darren, um, you know, looking ahead, even if that next gate is 80 meters down, like, what does your turn shape have to be? You see so many young racers like snapping it off way more than they have to just lengthening that turn keeping it gliding wind produces a sophisticated line of ski and snowboard waxes for use by skiers riders racers and shops the current wind snow wax formulations have come from over 50 years of progressive blend reformulation and on slope and in lab testing this has been in conjunction with the feedback of some of the world's top ski and snowboard athletes Athletes who know real speed, like Kitzbühel champ Darren Rolfs and 2019 Birds of Prey GS champion Tommy Ford. When no longer sells any products containing fluorocarbon compounds and instead utilizes natural, plant-derived and or biodegradable additives that substantially increase the overall eco-friendliness of the Wend Snow Wax product line. Give Wend a follow on Instagram at Wend Waxworks and purchase your Wend products at wendperformance.com. And don't forget to use the code ADH20 for 20% off your purchase. Just to let you guys know, the downhill standings after, what is it, three races? Odermott is winning the downhill standings. Bryce Bennett still in second. Kilday third. Sarazin in third, uh, fourth. Paris, Paris, Pini. Paris. Fifth, Paris. Mm -hmm. Crawford in six, Casse, Allegre, and another Alexander. Who would like to go first with the Vengen picks? You guys know I love putting an American on top, but for some reason I don't have a ton of confidence in the boys right now for this week. I mean, I hope they prove me wrong, but another cool thing would maybe be a Swiss sweep of the podium. I think Odermatt is going to get his first downhill win ever. Niels Hinterman, who won a training round at Vengen last year, will be second. And Stefan Rogentin, who has had like weird bursts of speed this year, is going for third. All right. I'm not going to give the explanation, but I'm going to go with, I agree with Marco Odermatt's getting his first win. I think he's going to rise to the occasion. I think Paris and get ready for it. Goldberg, third. Yes. Right there, boy. Take that to the bank. Yeah, Goldie. Oh, man. I want to see him do it for sure. But I'm not going to pick him. <laughs> Top three. I'm going with, like I did in Bormio, Odermott again. I just feel he's so close. The guy's right on such a high right now. So much confidence. Two, North American, Cameron Alexander. And then I'm going Kilday. Can't count 
out Kilday or Thomas Burglar with those atomic ships. To wrap it up, I'm going to go with Kilday winning because he's had enough of this uh, behind the scenes. So I put Kilday winning it. I do have Odermott. I go Swiss second and third. I got Odermott second and this young guy, Kohler. I don't know if you've been watching him. Marco Kohler, he's right like rookie boy and he's right in the point. So I'll go with him as my surprise. Mother Marco on the board. Thanks for listening to our American Downhiller podcast. Please spread the word about the podcast. Share with your friends, coaches, teammates, and club. You'll find us either on Spotify or Apple. And thanks to our American Downhiller sponsors, ADL Ski Club, When Wax, Elite Team Fitness Programs, and American Downhiller Camps. Stay tuned for more American Downhiller podcasts this year. For AJ, Darren, and Marco, thanks for listening.